Friends, this morning I want you to imagine uh, standing on the edge of a really high lookout and looking out over spectacular scenery. Looking out over the sort of scenery which really does have an impressive shape and beauty to it. I don't know about you, one of my personal favourites is the view from up at Byron Bay on the far north coast of New South Wales. The view from the lighthouse up there on the headland and how when you stand on it on a good day there is this just crystal clear blue water and you've got this beautiful arc of golden beach just stretching away underneath you all the way into the distance. But then in the background you've got the hinterland, Mount Warning and all those mountains just rising up behind it. I love that view. I love it because of its size, but I love it because of its beauty. Because it's as if everything is just in the right spot. And the mountains and the beach, they're not, they're, they're not just the right shape, they're in just the right place, and it makes for a breathtaking, I think, experience. Now, that's the sort of feeling that I hope that you're going to get this morning. Because together this morning, we're going to return, we're returning to our series on faith, And today we're looking into the very mind of God so as to consider why it is that he has planned for us to be saved through faith. See, a few weeks back when we started our series, we established base camp and we thought about what Christian faith is. And that's where we looked at that uh, verse in Romans 4, the one that described Abraham's faith as being fully persuaded that God has power to do what he had promised. And from that verse, we peg down our base camp and we peg down the idea that that faith isn't a leap in the dark. It's a conviction of things that we're convinced of. Uh, We peg down the idea that faith is grounded in the faithfulness of God. So it's not about how much faith we have. It's about the fact that God is reliable. And we peg down the idea that, that faith is not being confident about anything. It's being confident about things that God has promised. Now, that was our base camp. That's what faith is. But then the next week, from base camp, we climbed a little bit higher to see how it is that our faith works, how it is that faith turns out to be so important. And we discover that it's important because it is by faith that we accept the good gifts of God. Remember, God has promised that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, forgiveness can be ours. We can have new life. And when by faith we reach out our hands and accept that, God actually does those things for us. But friends, there's another question that we need to be asking about faith. This is a deeper question. The question is not what is faith or or how does it work. The question is why does faith work? Why did God choose to save us by faith as opposed to any other way? God's pretty creative. You'd reckon he could come up with with a few different ways to adopt us into his family. What are God's reasons for choosing faith? as the means through which to save us. Well, friends, it's when we turn to our Bibles to answer that question that I reckon we effectively reach the summit of the mountain in understanding faith. Because when we start to figure, think about why God saves us through faith in Jesus, it's like looking out into the very mind of God himself. And we start to get a glimpse of the way God ticks and why he does stuff the way he does stuff. And I reckon that's an outstanding view. This morning, let me point out just two pieces of interest in that view. And first and foremostly, in the Bible, God says that he saves us through faith in Jesus Christ so as to bring praise 
to himself. So you look back at that Bible reading that Sue just read for us. A really stunning passage where God lifts up, lists out all these wonderful blessings that we have in Christ. And did you notice something that was actually repeated three times throughout? Verse 5. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. Cast your eye down to verse 12. He's listed off all these things that have happened to us in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Keep reading into verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance unto the redemption of those who are Christ's possession, to the praise of his glory. Three times that sort of phrase is mentioned. That in all these wonderful things that are run through in this passage, three times we're told that it's all been in order that we might be for the praise of his glory. God has saved us and God has showered us with good things through faith so as to bring praise to himself. Turn the page to uh, chapter 2 in Ephesians. Some well-known verses here. Let me perhaps point out something a bit new. Chapter 2, verse 4. Now, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that... This is why he's done it, in order that in the coming ages we might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. See again what that verse 7 is saying. We've been saved, we've been raised up with Christ or or through faith as we discovered uh, uh, the last time we looked at this series. But verse 7, it's all being done in order to show the richness of God's grace. It's all being done that way so as to display how wonderful God is. It's all being done that way so as to bring praise for who God is and the way he operates. And that's why at several places throughout the New Testament, it talks about how the cross and how our faith in the cross reveals all these wonderful aspects of God. And if we had time, we could work through, for example, the book of Romans is a beauty where it talks about how uh, the cross and when we put our faith in Jesus' death and resurrection of, uh, at the cross, it reveals God's faithfulness, that God did not even withhold his son so as to keep his promises to gather a people to himself. It displays his justice, that he couldn't just ignore sin and sweep it under the carpet. His sense of justice demanded that sin be dealt with. It displays his mercy and his love. The very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, all these New Testament ideas that I suspect a lot of us have heard and are familiar with, they all are flowing out of this idea that God saves us through faith so as to bring praise to himself, so as to show us just how righteous and just and loving and merciful he is. You see, that's the thing about faith. When we put our faith in someone or something, 
that usually does sort of reflect honour and praise for that person or thing. For example, at the moment, as many of you be aware, Felicity is on her L's learning to drive. So I want you to imagine this scene. Smith family's at home enjoying themselves. Flick walks through the door. Hey, everyone, who wants to go for a drive? Let's go out and get an ice cream. I'll drive. It'll be my shout. Now, imagine if that happened and then everyone in the family suddenly came up with all these excuses about how they couldn't go. Or they just put their head in a magazine and pretend that they hadn't heard it because they're just a bit anxious about getting in the same car with Flick. Now, that lack of faith in her driving ability, that would say something, wouldn't it? Now, that is, of course, not what would happen. If Felicity ever did come in and offer to drive us to buy us an ice cream at the end of it, I reckon the Smith family would be in the car before she finished the offer. And you see, our faith would say something about her driving ability. It would bring her honour, praise. That's how it works with faith in God. When we are fully persuaded that God is able to do what he has promised, when we are fully persuaded that because of Jesus' death and resurrection that he will actually forgive us, that trust in God brings him praise. It brings him honour. brings him glory. And it is God's intention that that should be the case. For we have been saved through faith in order that we might be for the praise of his glory is that phrase that kept getting repeated. Now, I'm wondering at this point, though, whether some of you are feeling a little bit uncomfortable about that idea. God sounds a bit on himself, doesn't it? To be doing something, to, to be saving us, but to be doing it so as to bring praise to himself, sounds a bit vain, sounds a bit selfish. And, heck, if you and I were to do something for those reasons, it would be. We've got to remember two things. First thing we've got to bear in mind is that this is the God of all the universe we're talking about here. Uh, God's a little bit different to you and I because unlike you and I, there is nothing more important than him. And so it is actually highly appropriate for him to do things for his honour. There's no one else more honourable to do them for. In fact, if God was not to do it uh, for that, if God was to do things so as to glorify something else as if that something else was more important than him, that's sort of like God committing idolatry, which which is a nonsense. God must honour himself because he is the one most worthy of being honoured. And it's not that he's big-headed. It's that he's God. There is nothing more important than him. There's nothing more important to be honoured than him. But secondly, we need to remember that you cannot divorce God wanting praise for himself. You cannot divorce that idea from God also loving us at one and the same time. The two things are not in conflict with each other. In fact, the two things work in harmony with each other. Because it's like when when we have a touch with fame, you know, when we sort of have met someone who's important or famous, the more important and the more famous they are, the more special and the more privileged we feel, don't we? So, you know, I'm sure we've had those sort of conversations at a dinner party or at school or whatever where everyone starts talking about the most important person they've ever met 
and somehow the person who's met the most famous celebrity sort of wins the conversation. I have a friend whose claim to fame is that he got to stand next to Gough Whitlam at a urinal at Sydney Airport. I can't compete with that. I was on a plane once with Nicky Webster, but that's as good as it gets for me. I don't know, maybe you can top even that. The simple point I want to making is that when we meet someone important, the more important they are, the more privileged we feel. Now, friends, that's what happens when God saves us through faith. Yes, it brings praise to him, but at the same time it only deepens the privilege we feel for being saved by him, the pri- of being known by him, that we should be called the children of God, that after everything I've done, that I should call him my father and that, that I have his spirit in my life, that he would do that for me. Friends, it is highly appropriate for God to honour himself by saving us through faith. It's not as if there's anyone else more important to honour. But at the same time, he's also loving us by opening our eyes to the unbelievable privilege of being one of his children, a God of justice and mercy and righteousness. And we're one of his children. He wants us to savour that. Well, look, I mentioned the Bible offers another reason why God saves us through faith. The first one, the most important one, is that it brings praise to him, to God. There's another reason, though, and and in this reason, God's love for us is even more transparent. And that is that being saved by faith, it not only brings glory to God, it brings assurance to us. And again, there's lots of places we could go, but just for convenience, let's stay with Ephesians. Cross the page to chapter 3 this time. Chapter 3, verse 10. His, that is God's intention in doing all this and saving us, was that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purposes which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just in passing, notice again the intention of God doing all these things. It was to again reveal his goodness. His intention this time in this particular verse is heightening how God's way of saving us through faith shows his wisdom. That's being singled out. But look what keeps going on in verse 12. In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now I want to notice I want you to notice that last verse 12. Do you see what faith has achieved for us in Christ? It brings freedom and confidence. In other words, faith in Jesus brings an assurance to our relationship with God that would not have been there if we were not saved by faith. See, think about it. When we put our faith in God, when we become fully convinced that God is able to do what he has promised through the death and resurrection of Jesus, when we trust God to save us, we are effectively transferring our trust from ourselves to God. We're effectively saying, God, I can't do this. I can't get into heaven on my own. But you promised I can through Jesus' death and resurrection and I trust you. Please do it. 
Now, friends, the moment that happens, we are transferring our trust from us and what we can do to God and what he has done. And can you see that when you do that, a level of assurance blows through your life like a breath of fresh air. Because suddenly it's not about us anymore. It's about Jesus. And so you don't have to worry anymore about whether you're good enough to get into heaven. You don't have to agonise anymore over whether you've done enough good things. You don't have to be weighed down with guilt about things you'd wish you'd never done. When your faith is in what Jesus has done and what he has achieved, we can now approach God on that basis with freedom and confidence. Freedom and confidence. They are lovely words. They are words that describe the way my kids come home from school. They don't knock at the door and wait to be let in. They don't stand awkwardly in the lounge room until we offer them a seat. They let themselves in and they swarm through the house. They go to the fridge without having to be told before they're offered to. They, 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 they see what's on offer in the fridge. They collapse wherever they want in the room so as to relax and just escape from the traumas of school. They enter in freedom and confidence. And that is what the God of all the universe wants us to do with him. In complete ease to approach him and just relax and escape from the traumas of life. And the God of all the universe, he just loves it like that. That's why he planned for us to be saved by faith in Jesus and not faith in ourselves. And I reckon that's extraordinary. And I want to encourage you with this this morning. I want to encourage you with what is really just the scope and the size and the genius and the love of God. For here we are at the summit really, looking in the very mind of God to see why it is that faith is so important and what we discover is a God whose every action is just right and whose every thought is love. It's a great line in that song we sing earlier. That God is so masterful as to save us by faith in order that at one and the same time he could both satisfy his sense of justice and showcase his sense of mercy. That God is so ingenious as to choose to save us by faith so as to both show himself to be perfect and yet at the same time make it possible for imperfect people like us to approach him in freedom and confidence. I don't know about you, but I am completely and utterly humbled by a God like that. I am captivated by a God like that. And it certainly impresses me that when we put our faith in a God like that, yeah, he might surprise us sometimes. Yeah, he might even do some things that we would not have done ourselves. But when we put our confidence in a God like that, he knows what he's doing. 
So this week, trust him. It's what he wants you to do. He wants you to be fully persuaded that he's able to do what he's promised. So just trust him. I don't know, maybe this week for you, you've got lots of worries on. Are there pressures and decisions in your life that you've got to make and they're just weighing you down really heavily? Do you know that God has promised in his word that if you lack wisdom, you can ask him for it and he will give it to you generously? That's a promise in James. It's not an empty promise. Be fully persuaded that God is able to do that for you. Maybe this is going to be a week of suffering. You know that already. Maybe it's going to be a week of physical pain, emotional pain. Do you know that God has said in his word that our present sufferings aren't worth comparing to the glory that awaits us? He makes that promise in Romans. So I want to encourage you to press on. Be fully persuaded that God is able to do what he's promised. Maybe you're here this morning and you're just tired of doing the right thing all the time. You know, you're just sick and tired of turning the other cheek and you're tempted to give up serving other people, for example, because they never seem to appreciate you. Friends, don't give up. God has promised that what is done in secret, he will reward. And this is from a masterful God who knows what he's doing. So be fully persuaded that he's able to do it. Maybe you're here this morning and you're disappointed with yourself. Maybe you're battling the same old temptations every week. And sometimes you even give in and there's that crippling guilt and that shame and you feel so ashamed you wonder if if God would ever forgive you. Do you know that God has promised that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? And this is from a masterful God who knows what he's doing. Be fully persuaded that God's able to do it. And maybe you're here this morning and you are just lonely. Maybe you're here and you feel insignificant. You feel unloved and unnoticed. You're not. God says you matter so much to him that he was willing for Jesus to go to the cross. And this is from a masterful God who knows what he's doing. And when he says that about you, he means it. He's faithful, you know. So trust him. Trust him. It's what he wants you to do. And when you do, it'll bring him praise. And it'll bring you assurance. I'll pray. Father, we cannot help but praise your honour and glory and mercy and justice and wisdom and love. Father, thank you that in your purposes and plans you chose us to be saved by faith. Father, we are delighted to be able to be saved in a way that brings you praise, for you alone are worthy of it. 
and thank you that in your love you chose to save us that way so that we could talk to you now in freedom in confidence. Father God, thank you. Amen.